going to open us up in prayer real quick, and we'll dive right in. Um, Father of glory, thank you so much for your heart that is ever for us. Jesus, even now, as you make intercession, God, I ask that you would breathe upon our ears, that you would uh, speak to our hearts, God, Lord, that we would hear from you, Holy Spirit, and we would have the boldness and the courage and the confidence to respond to you rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, thanks, Grant. Uh, so uh, I'm just going to move right into here, um, just sharing on abortion and breaking our agreement with it as a nation um, and uh, as our own call of being an intercessor on our life. Um, to give some framework, I just want to um, bring some uh, a contextual understanding of agreement by first looking at the idea of inheritance. And uh, from an internal perspective, inheritance is of the future. It's something that's coming. And for what it looked like for Israel, it was the, the tribe of Levi, the, those that uh, facilitated priestly duties. They didn't have land to take care of. They didn't have an inheritance on the earth. Um, they relied on a tithe that came in from the other 11 tribes. And their inheritance was God himself. And so in the natural, an inheritance we can see like in our culture that we receive an inheritance from our parents after they pass away. Um, but the fullness of inheritance for us who believe in God, those who belong to God, it is not just the finances and the provision in this life, but the gift of abundant life, Zoe life, the gift of God himself. And one of the greatest earthly resources that God gives us is our children. I mean, without children, we don't have anything to really pass on our inheritance to. And so abortion is this loss of great inheritance. I mean, it's, it's, it's the genocide of our generation. It's, and, and even, um, I want to encourage you, I'm going to go through a lot of different scripture, um, and some of it I will read, but I want to encourage you to read about what the Lord says about blessing and and the lack of it in Deuteronomy chapters 28 uh, through 30. And, um, and the Lord talks about when we are in agreement, when we are rightfully in position with his heart and when we're not, and what does that do to the spiritual climate of a nation? So the fullness of inheritance is something that God desires first for himself, that we see this from original design that creator God gave dominion of the earth over to man that it was partnership, that, and after the fall, God increased man's inheritance. So we see that God gave dominion to, the, to man on the earth to steward that, but that after the fall, that we see um, even uh, in Psalm chapter two, that creator God, that, that Jehovah is having a conversation with Adonai. And he says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And so often we see that as, as God wanting to give us an inheritance. And while there's a, a facet to that, we see that God is handing in the book of Revelation the, the title deed of the earth to his son. And he's saying that I, I want to give to you the nations, not just the nations, but the people in the nations as an inheritance. 
And so while we receive the gift of life from God, we receive, we receive more than that because we receive as being the very inheritance of, of Jesus. And that is the, the, the beauty that God has created in his creation is partnership. That one of the greatest satisfying and fulfilling gifts that God gives to an intercessor is the fact that we get to partner with God. It is, it is profound that we can actually move the heart of God. Like he writes into the storyline that we get to create, that we get to partner with him. And he's like, I want to be moved. I was created with, with, with the ability to be moved by those created in my image. And two of the greatest intercessors that we have seen in scripture, Moses in Exodus chapter 22, God's tired of, um, he wants to wipe Israel and the, the, um, just the, the, the rebellion and the stiff necked and um, just that whole idea that, that God says to Moses, I'm going to start a new nation with you. And, and, and Moses rem reminds God, not that he forgets, but he's looking, 2 Chronicles 16.9, he's going over the surface of the earth, the spirit of God, looking for hearts that are fully his. God is not just looking for a better outcome. Yes, he wants abortion to end. He's not just looking for a better eternity, but he's looking for agreement. He's looking to do it in relationship, in the context of partnership. We get to move. How, how great of it would, would it be to be before the Lord on the day and to be reminded by God himself that you moved my heart that you stood on the, in the gap, that he was looking for those that would stand on the wall of intercession. Even Jesus himself prayed this, the, the, our Father who art in heaven in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus was praying for agreement. And there are divine principles and prescriptions for healing in our land. We see it, we pray it all the time, 2 Chronicles 7, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Joel chapter 2, the consecration, the solemn assembly, the fasted lifestyle. The Lord is going to bring justice upon the earth. The question is, will he be doing it through mercy in this age of grace, or will it be through judgment? So I want to break down the identity a little bit of the of the intercessor before we look at this issue of abortion in our land. First, the first element, the first facet of being an intercessor is that we make petition and we go before God in prayer. That we stand on behalf of something, someone or someones. And to receive what God is saying, to hear from him and to say it back to him which creates partnership. And he gives us the ability to process what we're hearing from him. And then he uses our own personalities to express the, the, the actual intercession, to express the prayer language and the agreement, the aroma of the saints, the aroma of our prayer life, and that bowls would be filled in heaven. So often we pray this in the house of prayer, God, would you tip the bowls? And he's saying, I want to, but I want more. 
I'm, I'm wanting, I'm waiting because when he tips the bowls, there is a, an answer to our prayers, but sometimes there's also a, a judgment that comes with it. And now I'm talking about the judgment of, of, um, in, in the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel that we see that's going to be coming. But what I'm talking about is that, 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 that God is, he relents, he, he waits, he, you know, he tarries because he's saying my house is not yet full. I'm, I'm longing that others would come in this age of grace by his mercy. Second, we see the role of the intercessor as ones that would speak to man, the prophetic. And, um, and uh, I, just, I just feel like this is, this is something that we hold loosely because it's like we don't always know what element of our prayer life is sometimes prophetic until time goes by. And we're like, wow, you go back into your journals and you're like, I remember when I prayed that. And now we're looking in the news that God is moving on behalf since 2010 we have seen more pro-life legislation written at the state level. And like for the first time, we actually have the momentum to believe for Roe v. Wade to, to be overturned, but that's just the beginning of it. Now we're going to see like what happened with the state of New York in 2018 with, with um, uh, pro-abortion legislation that, that if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, that it's going to be kicked back to the state level. Well, I'm still believing for enough states to eradicate abortion to the point where it needs to be addressed that we have a 28th amendment to the constitution that defines life at conception. I'm believing for that. We're still a long ways away because this is one battle of, of one ruling from the Supreme Court in 1973. Anyway, moving right along. So who's the greatest in the kingdom? You know, God said the servant, servant is the greatest. Well, there's, there's no greater servant than Jesus who's forever making intercession. I believe some of the greatest people in the kingdom won't have a platform. Some of the greatest people in the kingdom won't have their name printed on the program. Some of the greatest will even have millions of followers on Instagram or YouTube. They will be known by God. Some of the greatest people in the kingdom will be those who served alongside Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, who's prayed with him, forever praying with us, that we would intercede with him, and that he strengthens us in this partnership. I want to just uh, shift gears here right now and take a look at America in, in the context of Israel and, and what, what, it, what does our nation look like today to get a picture of the precarious position that our nation is in right now. I want to take a look at Israel and one of the most depraved moments in her history, starting with the calling of Abram, a Gentile pagan, to leave and start a people dedicated to the Lord. Now, in Genesis chapter 13, uh, Lot and separates from Abram. They, they're being blessed by the Lord and the, and the resources and, and, and all that God is giving them. And, and as you probably know, Abram gives Lot, the, his, his nephew Lot, the opportunity to choose first. And he pitches his tent towards the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 14, Lot is captured when four kings from Mesopotamia come and attack the valley. Genesis 15, God cuts covenant with Abram. 
Genesis 16, we have Hagar and Ishmael. Genesis 17, God reminds Abram of his covenant to him who is bowed low. He fell on his face and God changed his name and gave him a new identity that he would start many nations through Abraham. Genesis 18, Abraham intercedes on behalf of Sodom. This is absolutely profound. He's bargaining with God. God, if there's 50, would you save the city? This is one, like even Daniel, when he was receiving a word from the Lord on behalf of, an, of a wicked king, he said, he said it, it, was, it was judgment against him. And, and, and Daniel says, oh, king, I wish that this wasn't against you. What kind of heart does it take to intercede on behalf of the wicked? Abraham is interceding on behalf of Sodom. He's saying, God, if there were 50, how about 40, 30, 20? He comes down to 10 people. Would there be 10 righteous? Would you save the city for 10 righteous? And some believe that the, from, the, from the remains that they believe to have uh, discovered from Sodom and Gomorrah, that, that this city was approximately the population of somewhere around 1,200, order of magnitude. And Abraham is interceding for, for not even 1% of that nation. 10 isn't even 1% of that. And out of the U.S., we have about 325 million people. And that's not, e that's not even 3 million. And I'm not saying that this is a, there's a direct correlation here, that there's a specific number that we can plug into a formula. But what I do believe that, that God is giving us a picture here is that God is looking for a remnant. He's looking for a remnant that will stand on behalf of his heart. I want to look at King Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 11. You can turn there, but I'm just going to run through some of these verses. This is when Solomon, near the end of his reign, he's turning his heart away from the Lord. Verse 1, King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. And verse 2, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Verse 7, jumping down. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh and the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is the east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And we know that, that Molech is the historic god of the Ammonites, and at least one of the tribes of Israel was known for, for some time to sacrifice their children. Um, throughout uh, Torah, that God is saying that you will not allow your children to pass through the fires of Molech. And, and this brazen, hot furnace of an, of an idol that they would sacrifice their children. And um, this, this altar, this high place that Solomon erected for both Moab and Ammon, those nations were actually fathered by the illegitimate children that Lot conceived with his two daughters. There is a connection in the fabric of a nation 
when there is not only idolatry, but there is immorality, that it is connected and that we need to break agreement. God is looking for those that would stand on behalf of his heart. Even when, you know, someone just mentioned the battle of Jericho, they were undefeated. Israel was undefeated moving into the promised land. And after Jericho, the Lord said, do not take anything from this city that was plundered, that it is of the accursed things. And in, in Joshua chapter six and seven, we see that Achan took a garment, a Babylonian garment. He hid some silver and when Joshua sends up the troops, he only sends up a few thousand to the battle of Ai. About 36 men lose their lives. They scatter, and Joshua is distraught. He, he rips his, his, his garments, and he says um, he's talking to God. God's talking to him. In verse 11, he says, Israel has sinned. Now, we don't know if there's other things involved, but what we do know is one man sinned. One man sinned, and from that, God attributes at least a portion of it to the nation of Israel. How much more for 62 million babies that have been aborted in our nation since 1973? I want to finish with some scripture here from uh, warnings that God gives to Israel. In Psalm 72, Beginning with verse one, give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people. Verse four, and he will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and he will break in pieces the oppressor. Going down to verse 12, for he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy. He will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence and precious shall be their blood in his sight. Isaiah chapter 28. This is a profound scripture that is talking um, where God is actually talking to Israel. And beginning with verse 14, I believe it's, it's very uh, parallel to our nation and how we've legislatively come into agreement with abortion. Therefore, Isaiah 28, 14, therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men who rule this people who are in Jerusalem, because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with hell, we are in agreement when the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. Verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not ask, act hastily. Also, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. He's going to restore righteousness to Israel. He's talking, it's, it's obviously a messianic passage referring to Messiah. The hail, judgment, will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. 
when the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. As often as it goes out, it will take you. From morning by morning, it will pass over, and by day and by night, it will be a terror just to understand the report. Guys, this breaks my heart with the position that our nation is with God and, what, and how he views the children that come from him. He gives children. It is from children are a blessing from the Lord. Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. To the intercessor, open your mouth. We are all called to intercede in some degree or, or, or measure. Open your mouth for the speechless. In the cause of all who are appointed to die, open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. I want to stop here and say thank you to the Catholic Church, for the Protestant Church has been silent for many years in the 70s and 80s, and even to the 90s, before the the pro-life message began to really increase through the gift of social media. But the, the, the... the Catholic believers I just believe, uh, have just trumpeted life for so long. I just want to stop and say thank you for interceding on behalf of the children, the preborn. I just want to end here with 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have obtained mercy. Guys, mercy triumphs over judgments. 